This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello, and welcome to Season 7, Episode 7 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is the recap of our series on Simon Pegg, looking at all of the movies which he has written. And yeah, going back to the very beginning and then, you know, getting to the to the end uh, and seeing what, what we think about uh, his assignment to write Star Trek Beyond based on what he's written up until now. So, five movies. Five movies. Five different outcomes. (laughs) Going back to 2004, his first movie was Shaun of the Dead, which was co-written by Edgar Wright and directed by Edgar Wright. Starred Simon Pegg, as all of Simon Pegg's movies do. And, yeah, you want to tell people what that one was about? Uh, Zombies. It yes. was about a, a, it was about an underachiever who winds up having to uh, grow up and mature very quickly during the uh, unforeseen zombie apocalypse that at first is barely noticeable from daily life for him. Yes, uh, it, it starts off um, as sort of a romantic comedy and quickly yeah. becomes a zombie romantic comedy. Uh, Zom rom com as <laughs> as they are um, uh, off, as it's often referred to. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, well, what did you think about this movie? Uh, I mean, it's it's a clever movie. It's uh, it's a well paced, well written movie. The dialogue's really good. The characters are fun. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that there's a single character that you know I don't like or felt that the you know the performance pushed it into you know, the the realm of necessity, you know, like there wasn't a character where it felt like, Oh, if that person hadn't played it, like every character felt right, felt necessary to move the plot along. Um, and I, you know, I thought that, uh, the development of all of the characters was really good. Um, it's, it's got a surprisingly strong backbone for a, as you call it, Zomrom com. Mm-hmm. It, it it is very solid. It's a movie which I, I like the more every time I watch it. I think um, it really has sort of grown on me, and I think the reason for that is because it is really dense. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, we we've talked about that uh, frequently throughout this series about how there's a lot of stuff going on in it, and it's it's kind of very intricate intricately constructed and all this stuff and that's very admirable and it's weird because as a zom rom com like all of those things are kind of dismissed by a lot of people and you know you you think of like highfalutin dramas you know or like huge like epic blockbusters or something as being these intricate works of art but here's a very sort of unassuming um tiny movie about zombies and love love and zombies and it is pretty sophisticated it's very sophisticated yeah 
And I, I think that that's really cool. And I think that that makes for one of the best movies that Peg has written. Certainly, I would say it is the most noteworthy movie that he's written. Like, uh, most critically acclaimed by far, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of a debut. Like, yeah. there's a reason people took notice of him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So that was followed up three years later with the second film in the Cornetto trilogy, which was Hot Fuzz. Also co-written by Edgar Wright and directed by Edgar Wright, also starring Simon Pegg. And yeah, could you give us a, a synopsis of that one? Parody of cop movies. Uh, Pegg plays a uh, a phenomenal super cop who's embarrassing everybody else on the force. And so they ship him off to a quiet little hamlet, uh, you know, so that he's not making everyone look bad. And uh, it winds up backfiring because he he uncovers a giant con- conspiracy that uh, is inspired by Agatha Christie and the Wicker Man and you know all of those sort of classic things and there's a James Bond the Equalizer and Belloc in it yeah also inspired by Michael Bay which is pretty great oh I mean, that's right yeah and a- Michael Bay any movie which is inspired by both Agatha Christie and Michael Bay you got and isn't it isn't it technically because point isn't point break I, I think you you said this Catherine Bigelow Point Break is Catherine Bigelow with the screenplay and, by James Cameron, by the way. So there, you know, there's a Catherine Bigelow. There's two Oscar winners you're referring to right there in the movie. So yep. way to go, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I just forgot that James Cameron wrote Point Break. I, 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 I need to I need to check out this remake. Point Break is not a good movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not. It Still tries. Have to see it. It tries. The the one thing which I will take away, I will always think of this whenever I think of Point Break is for years and years and years, there was this rumor going around that James Cameron ghost directed Point Blank, Point Break, sorry, Point Break, because they, they were like, well, you know, it was his wife and, you know, it's really good and women don't know how to do action and whatever, whatever their reasoning was, which was ridiculous, right? Yeah. This was the rumor. And not to mention, it's like, what is, like, you think that Point Break is some sort of masterpiece that only James Cameron could make? And, yeah. like, years later, James Cameron, like, someone asked him about it. And he's like, this that's absolutely ridiculous for numerous reasons. But anyone who knows anything about directing can obviously tell that I did not direct this movie. Because if you look at all of my movies, I use very short, wide-angle lenses. And Point Break was shot almost exclusively with long telephoto lenses. So, duh. And I'm like... That totally sounds like something only James Cameron would ever notice. And yeah. also, he's right. <laughs> it was. <laughs> you know, like Catherine Bigelow always uses long lenses and he always uses short lenses. So now anytime I watch either one of their movies, all I can think of about, about is how long the lenses are. And yet, typical, normal, <laughs> simple people like myself just look at it and say, that looks purdy. Oh, well, no, no. From now on, you'll be looking to see how shallow the depth of field is in in all of these shots. I guarantee it. Yeah, no, uh, actually, I'm I'm replaying Strange Days in my brain right now. It is. And it is. I mean, it's totally. Yeah. And by the way, if you haven't seen Strange Days. Well worth it. Oh, my God. December 31st. Just watch it. It's good. So good. So good. That you know what? You're right. That is that's the perfect movie to watch on. On New Year's Eve. That's Absolutely. the movie. That's the movie that I I watched that movie on 
December 31st, 1999. I was so scared to go out. I thought the world was going to end. <laughs> I locked myself in the basement and I watched Strange Days and it was awesome. <laughs> so you made the conscious decision that the last thing you were ever going to see was Strange Days? If no, the Y2K see, thing worked? Like, I didn't think that the world was going to end. I didn't think, like, all of a sudden, like, the, you know, the timer was going to go off and it's like, uh oh, time for the world to end. <laughs> I just thought that people would be going and cr- going crazy, and I thought it was going to be like the purge, you know, where like people oh. are just going to be running through the streets, you know, just insanity. Things would be on Man, fire. If that, if that thought had even occurred to me, I would not have gone to Baltimore on that New Year's <laughs> Eve. Yeah, that's the last place I'd go. Yeah, I mean that was I was super terrified, and I lived in like this little suburb, you know. Um, but and then like I'm watching the thing on CNN and everyone's just like, isn't this the best? It's happy. Everyone's happy. It's like, oh, okay. I guess that's how it really works. I, I guess I've seen Strange Days too many times. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, but yeah, watch Strange Days and also watch Zero Dark Thirty because that movie's amazing. Oh, so, that movie's insane. It's so that good. is amazing. Yeah, I, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's yeah. She's such a good director. Anyway, she really is. She really is, and I would like to see her uh, try her hand in uh, in uh, in a Star Wars. I think we've talked about this a Star Wars movie. Yeah, well, that'd be one great. Of the side projects. I'd like to see her do anything, really. But yeah. anyway, none of that has to do with Simon Pegg, aside from the fact Not that at all. Hot Fuzz references her movie Point Break, which That's... you haven't seen and which I don't like. So there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, moving on. Um, oh, I guess we should say. Well, what did you, what did you? Oh, you just said what you thought of. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it's it's more polished. It's yeah. uh it's well worth seeing. It's very funny. Um but the uh, like the one thing to knock it on as compared to say Shaun of the Dead is the the character arc isn't quite as satisfying. Um like there's a real satisfaction with uh with what happens with Shaun by the end of the movie uh as opposed to Hot Fuzz, but this is true to its, you know, inspiration material that the main characters don't go through quite the same amount of change by the end of the film. I mean, maybe that's what it is. You know, like Shaun of the Dead is like a character piece where the zombie apocalypse is kind of the setting for this character piece. Whereas with Hot Fuzz, it's more focused on sort of the genre than it is on the characters. And maybe that's where the difference lies because I think it's better as genre parody than Shaun of the Dead is. But I think that Shaun of the Dead has stronger a stronger script for in in a traditional sense so well yeah because Shaun of the dead works even if you take the zombie stuff out yeah whereas hot fuzz only works as a parody yeah but yeah. I, I do like hot fuzz a lot i think i do think it is a lot of fun to watch um even if it's probably technically not as good as Shaun of the dead especially from a, a writing standpoint yeah so after hot fuzz everyone's careers blew up and they went off and they did a million and one things and, you know, took a little break from the Cornetto trilogy. And Simon Pegg, while on that break, signed on to, I think, probably first star, I'm guessing, in a movie for yeah. David Schwimmer called Run, Fat Boy, Run, which was based on a screenplay by Michael Ian Black, but then rewritten by Simon Pegg himself. Uh, into the movie that exists today. He anglified it or whatever. And yeah, yeah, so so, uh, you want to give a synopsis of Run, Fat Boy, Run? Guy runs from his wedding, 
and he's a ne'er-do-well and doesn't advance in life, gets a dead-end job. And then the mother of his child, who is his ex-fiance, winds up uh, falling in love with a character played by Hank Azaria, who's rich and intelligent and successful. Guy's really a jerk behind the scenes. Of course, she doesn't see it. And this motivates uh, Simon Pegg's character to run in the not-London marathon, (laughs) but the Nike River Run or something like that. Yes, I think that's what it's called, the Nike River Run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what did you think about that one? What did you think about that one, Mike? I liked it when I first saw it. I thought that it was kind of weak overall. Um, I, I thought that it was, um, uh, well, compared to Simon Pegg's other work, at least. But I thought as far as romantic comedies are concerned, it wasn't a bad one. It was fun. You know, whatever. So uh, when I rewatched it, I was looking forward to it. You know, it was the type of thing where it it didn't, it, it never was something which I felt the need to revisit. And I probably never would have revisited it had it not been because of something like this. But I wasn't dreading it by any stretch of the imagination. But sure. a- upon rewatch, what I found was it's not very good. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> It's not. It's not a monstrosity of uh, you know the proportions that we've seen in in episodes past, but it is not a good movie. I think it's definitely the worst movie that Simon Pegg wrote, and uh, I would say it's very sort of insignificant to his filmography. It feels like a work for hire, and yes. it feels like he should be doing something better. It's a mulligan. Yeah. I I forgive him for it. it. But don't rent it. Don't watch it. We watched it for you. It's yeah. our kind it's our kind holiday season gift to you. <laughs> yes, I hope you appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. So before getting back to the Cornetto trilogy, Simon Pegg did one movie. This one I feel like it really did come from the heart, unlike Run Fat Boy Run. Maybe maybe Run Fat Boy Run did come from the heart. I don't know. And that was Paul, which he uh, co-wrote with his uh, co-star in most of these movies, Nick Frost. It was directed by uh, Greg Matola, um, an American filmmaker who has done such movies as Adventureland and Superbad and such TV shows as Arrested Development and, well, really, who cares what else because Arrested Development is, you know, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, would you like to give a synopsis of that? Yeah, two guys uh, go to San Diego Comic-Con, and they're British, and so they're taking a road trip, and they meet an alien who's trying to get back home, and he's a foul-mouthed E.T. portrayed yes. with the voice of Seth Rogen. Exactly. And along the way, hijinks ensue, which... Apparently, Mike finds very funny, but I, I kind of fell flat with me. I, I love this movie. I love it so much, and I don't know why I've not really um, sung its praises as much as I should have been for you know however many years it's been since it came out. I believe it came out in 2011, I want to say. Mm-hmm. 
watching it now, which is only the third time I've seen it, uh, really, really struck a chord with me. I don't know if it's just because it's an election year <laughs> or what, but, you know, I'm... <laughs> I, I struggle to see how that has to do with anything, but okay. Well, I mean, like we talked about before, it's very much a um, satire of America from a British mm. perspective. You know, it's definitely they're taking a road trip through America and along the way hitting all of the things which kind of make America great in a sense. In, in the, uh, see, <laughs> I mean, I, I really do think that, that that's what they're doing. I mean, in addition had, to it being, a, a, you know, a sci-fi comedy, whatever. They hit they hit convenient stereotypes that are then caricatured, and I, I don't. Uh, maybe that maybe that's what didn't strike me as particularly funny is these these characters that they run into along the way. There's nothing particularly original or fresh about them. It could be. They are stock stereotypes of how. Um, uh, now, now I'm 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 an exurbs boy, not country boy, but exurbs boy. I grew up where you know there were big dusty places and not many shopping malls and stuff like that. Uh, you know, Seven Eleven was that didn't show up till I was much older. <laughs> um, but the. Uh, like the the stereotypes that that Paul pulls in are sort of how city folks see anybody that doesn't live in the city. They're those types of caricatures where it's like, oh well, yes, I I'm not somewhere that with a Starbucks, therefore they're all country bumpkins who most likely sleep with relatives. Like it's they are the caricatures are that easy. They're that simple, and that's that's why I would especially give the script. Uh, negative points is because i know that peg is better than that i know that he's better than that that I mean, you know that could be uh i don't know i guess my my thinking is this is a very broad comedy in every way you know so mm-hmm. having like over the top caricatures of these things is to me in keeping with the rest of the script. I mean, I would say that they are over-the-top caricatures of, you know, nerdy British tourists as well. You know, I mean, you know, it's yeah, told it's told from their perspective, so maybe it's more, um, you know, gentle ribbing than you know going after some some of the other you know stuff which which they they tackle in this. But I, I guess I don't have a a problem with with that so much. You know, I. I I just think it's lazy. I, I, I do. I, like, I've thought about it a lot since <clears throat> since we talked about it, and it's like that is really what bothers me about it is you could be absolutely right that it's in keeping with the, the, the motif of making a movie like this, and maybe that's just why I just don't like movies like this a lot is because I think that the, you know, the, the characters that they pull in are late. You know what? Uh, a road trip movie that isn't lazy about its stereotypes would be Vacation. Okay. That classic. Like they, you know, the the evil, awful aunt and the, you know, the, the, the fools that they meet along the way and that sort of thing, they don't feel uh, just thrown up there. They feel like they were actually put together with a real comedic uh, thrust. And that, you know, just for me, that, that would be the one that I would go back to as an example of the people you meet on the road are still funny and, and stereotypical 
but there's nothing that's vaguely, you know, it just, it just, Paul just feels low effort. It just does to me. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, perhaps it is low effort. I don't know. Um, whatever it was, it, it struck a chord with me. Maybe, maybe part of it is because of, I mean, like we were, what we were talking about last week where it's characters, you know, even though they're, you know, a couple of British guys are, you know, sort of very much, um, I, I guess you could say proxies for, for, for me and my friends in a sense, and that they're, you know, nerds who are doing sure. extremely nerdy things. And it, it really does feel like, uh, that part of it is not necessarily lazy in the sense that, you know, in the Big Bang Theory sense, you know, where, like, they've done their yes. homework in, in, in those ways. And, you know, I mean, that's what I'm going to be most critical of, to be honest, you know. And, but and see, that's that's the one part of the movie that that I like, I, I, I grant you like the 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 beginning and the end when they're at San Diego Comic-Con. I think is really when the movie shines because you're you're absolutely right. These we know these people. Yeah. And it is, you know, like the there are stereotypes in those moments too, but they're sort of the loving like, yeah, okay. I yeah. I I've kind of seen this. Yeah. I well, I, I get what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. You know that sort of thing. So I guess that's true. I mean, the other thing, I mean, the other overwhelming thing to me, which is certainly the reason why I would revisit it you know again and again is because I, I do find it to be laugh out loud funny which is something that I don't do I don't laugh out loud at things I really don't anytime that I okay. laugh on this show anytime like where you say something <laughs> funny and I'm like <laughs> kind of like you just did now that's yeah. me not that's me you know being polite <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute no, I mean it's true. Like that Ow. laugh that I did just now about <laughs> me saying that thing—that was me yeah. being polite. You know, Man, I don't. You know what? And I, I don't laugh. See, I don't laugh. This hurts because every time I come off of the show, I'm like, you know what? I'm a pretty funny guy. I, no, no, no. Laugh. But see, I'm, I find I'm, out it's I'm all genuine. No, I'm genuine <laughs> in my laughter. I'm just. It's it, it's it's like me saying good job. But like, <laughs> if you try to get me to laugh, like. I, I, I can I cannot laugh. I can very easily not laugh. <laughs> Tell me a funny joke. Tell me a funny joke. Nothing that I can say on a clean show. <laughs> you know, I mean, like that. I didn't have to do that, but that's my natural that's reaction, right? There you go. But like, I would never do that while watching a movie. You know, because you know Simon Pegg's not sitting there in front of me. Uh, you know, I might be sitting there watching uh, Shaun of the Dead. I being get what like, you're saying. This is hilarious. You know, and uh, but. If I'm just sitting there by myself, I'm going to be like, and you know, the audience couldn't hear that because it was a smile and a nod, you know, but But it was a very enthusiastic smile and a nod. Right. You know, were I to describe it, I would say if you walked by this gentleman making this expression, you'd say he's having a good time. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But like when I was watching Paul, there were times, even though I was by myself where I was like, ha 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 ha. You know, yeah, and that's I'm not being critical. Like, I really think, if anything, comedy is definitely one of those things where it's got to hit your funny bone. Yeah, and I I really think that comedy, even more than drama, like a dramatic movie, you and I can nitpick, but we can both sort of find the dramatic thread and both you know say, oh well, I I can relate to this and that sort of thing. 
but comedy like you're talking about like the big laugh out loud stuff like for me like the the end of home alone mm-hmm. like i practically chased people out of the theater i was laughing so hard oh, yeah i like, I, 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 did, I did love that too when i there, well it. okay well all right then my whole example just like got torpedoed because you also haven't seen planes, trains, and automobiles. But basically, what I'm saying is, there are probably movies that I would guffaw at. Mm-hmm. Guffaw, I tell you, and you would look at me and you'd be like, "What? What is wrong with you? That's yeah. not, you're psychotic. That's not funny." No, I mean, yeah, that's the way it works. You know, I'm sure yeah. that's that's. I mean, I, I think that Mallrats is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. I'm sure that you don't agree with that. Oh no, I <laughs> loved I loved Kevin Smith's uh, first three movies. Okay, 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 fine. Dogma. Then. He didn't he didn't start stinking until Dogma. Okay, Dogma then. Loved Dogma. Thought it was hilarious. Uh the longer, the longer cut of it was better. Um, but yeah, you and I would diverge on Dogma. Okay, all right. You Although old. Jason Lee, that guy just has to walk on screen. I think he's hysterical. Oh yeah, he's he's the best. Yeah, he's the best. Um, but, but by the way, uh, as, as long as we're on the subject of Jason Lee and Dogma and whatnot, Kevin Smith yeah. and whatnot, I've been rewatching this show, Dinner for Five, or watching it for the first time. Have you ever oh, seen okay. this thing? John Favreau. That's on YouTube now, right? It is. Well, I mean, you know, it's on YouTube. Everything's on YouTube. It's not. No, it's not like it's point. like YouTube's. You know, it's just like someone took it and stuck it on YouTube. You know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but Fair it's point. it's it's John Favreau. You know, and he gets like four people, four random people to sit sit down and do like a like at a dinner at a fancy restaurant, and they just talk. You know, okay. And he gets cool combinations. And well, there was one episode, and this is like two thousand and five. This is like right after episode three came out, and Kevin Smith was the guest host, and his four guests were Stan Lee, Jason Lee, Mark Hamill, and J.J. Abrams. Oh, for Pete's sake. Oh, and this is the one where Hamill talks about how he thought his character should have gone dark, and everybody was like, that means he's Kylo Ren. That That's the one, Is right? that really what people were, like, as if people, Mark Hamill had anything to do with that decision or whatever? That, that, uh, that yes, that specific conversation came back up. Oh, my and people, God. Uh, yes, and people ran with that, and they were like, this means that he's Kylo Ren. That definitely <sighs> means that he's Kylo Ren. And, like, I was... I had the same reaction you're having. I was like, that is, this conversation's old, and he's talking about something that happened in 1983 that has nothing to do with the script they wrote. Exactly. But regardless yes. of that, watch this this episode with this conversation because, you know, it being right after, you know, episode three came sure. out. It's Mark Hamill and Kevin Smith talking about episode three, and, you know, Mark Kevin Smith basically saying, like, what would you do if they did an episode seven? And Mark Hamill's, like, saying... And then at one point, J.J. Abrams is like, what are, you, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? That like, is oh, so funny. It's crazy. And this is 10 years ago, you know? I fully expect Kevin Smith now to go on tour, a speaking tour, <laughs> mind you, and film it saying that he's responsible for episode seven. You know what? You know what? And got screwed out of it because somebody told him to put giant spiders in it. You know what? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. But no. Now, that was a genuine laugh, Mike, just so you know. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. And, and I, I'm being, like, overly dramatic with my not laughing if you, you know. I get you. I get you. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> I hate it when we fight, Mike. Let's talk about something happy. All right, let's talk about uh, the, the world's, world's end. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. 
How about that? All right. So, what's the world's end? Uh, the world's end is a pub. Yes, it's at it the is. end of the uh, what is it? The Golden Mile, the Miracle Mile. I think it's the Golden Mile. Yeah, the Golden Mile. Uh, thir- thirteen pubs, twelve pubs, twelve pubs in one night. And the, uh, Simon Pegg plays a guy whose life sort of uh, peaked in high school, mm-hmm. and he wants to get all of his old friends back together so that he can go. And he is fairly convinced that the one thing is if he can complete this trip this one time, if he can get them all to the end, then his life will get back on track and he'll figure out what direction he's supposed to be going in. And along the way, they find out that the entire town, nay, the majority of many towns in the world, have been taken over by uh, space alien robots that are replacing people like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes. And that's not really a spoiler. That's You find that out pretty early on. Yes, yes, you do. And, you know, in, in similar fashion to Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, this is kind of a genre-bending parody of classic movies like The Stepford yeah. Wives and all that stuff, mm-hmm. Invasions of the Body Snatchers, like you were saying. And uh, it very much sort of in keeping thematically with the other movies, both in in terms of that, but also in terms of sort of the idea of becoming an adult, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so so what did you think about World's End? Uh, you know what, I actually like it even more since we had our discussion about it because I was struggling with the ending, and I think you put me on to sort of the interpretive angle that I'm still sort of like working out in my brain, but. I gotta be honest, I am going to go back and I'm going to rewatch the entire Cornetto trilogy, but as it stands right now, I like the world's end best of the three because I feel that it has a real um, wisdom to it, a real dramatic angle to it that gives it a weight that uh, is just, it feels just a little bit deeper and a little bit more personal. I I think it's possible that in World's End there are certain aspects of some of the characters that really resonate with some of the older friendships of mine that went sideways through the years. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably why I'm responding to it so strongly, but I I love it. I th- I think it's great. I I loathe owning physical media, but I'm actually considering buying the Cornetto trilogy because of the world's end. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like it a bunch too. I like it more now, uh, watching it for this series than I did when I first saw it, you know, when it came out and, you know, I, I can't argue with the fact that it does seem like the most, you know, sophisticated, mature, you know, um, work in the trilogy. And I think that only makes sense. It should be, you know, in a lot of ways, if you look at the way that the, the, the trilogy arcs and everything. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, is it, it's really tough because the movies for being a trilogy and for having these similar themes and everything like that. And, you know, not the same characters or anything like that, but all the same creative people behind the screen, behind the scenes, they are very different from each other in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I have trouble differentiating them on a, you know, quality scale 
because mm-hmm. they are all so different and, and offer such different things in a lot of ways. Um, sure. So I don't, I don't really know which one's my favorite. I, I'm going to say Shaun of the Dead just because I think that that's probably the, the most logical uh, one to, to pick because it's probably the, the most logical of them. But is it the most fun to watch? Is it the thing that, that will resonate with me the most when I watch it? Probably not, you know? I would say most fun to watch might be Hot Fuzz, and resonate yeah. most resonant might be, you know, World's End. So, But I weird. will say it is a, a, it's a testament to the strengths that Peg has, because you're, you're right, the movies are, are different, but you can still tell it's the same creative force behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's a there's yeah. a signature style, and of course directorially with uh, Edgar Wright as well naturally. Yeah. But even in terms of writing a script, like you can, you know, I I, I don't want to draw a comparison or anything, but it's it is seriously like sitting down to a Mamet or a Tarantino screenplay. You can tell when they have written something. Sure. Or yeah. even. Even stuff that Tarantino like ghost wrote, like certain scenes on was a Crimson Tide. Yeah, you're like, well, yeah, that's a Tarantino exchange right there. You know that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I agree, and I guess I mean that kind of segues into our our final you know piece here, which is you know comparing and contrasting and seeing what all five of these things together mean in terms of making up a a career or a filmography mm-hmm. for Simon Pegg as a writer. So we've got Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Run Fatboy Run, Paul, and The World's End. So what what do you see? What do you see from that mix? I see somebody that can uh he can juggle as a screenwriter a lot of characters and have each one have a voice. Even though I didn't like Run Fatboy Run or Paul, each character in it had their own unique voice. And I think that that is very key to making a Star Trek uh, movie work is to make sure that no matter how many characters you have in there, they are each distinct and uh, discernible from each other. Like it never feels like somebody's up there just giving dialogue because you haven't seen that character in a couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that I think that Peg is going to be very good for managing multiple character arcs at the service of one big arc that goes from start to finish. Yeah. I mean, I guess when I'm, when I look at them, I I see, you know, thematic similarities more than anything else. And all of his movies really do seem to be about, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say like coming of age, but in a sense coming of age or sort of like growing up in the adult sense, like coming of maturity. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like like each one of his movies are sort of about these kind of like man-child characters who, you know, are finally getting a hold of their life and becoming, you know, the the men that they should become, if that makes any sense. I know sure. that that sounds like very testosterone-filled and I don't mean to do that but well he's he's a he's a guy playing a guy so it makes sense that you would say that he's on the journey of a guy be you know sort of finding his way yeah it makes sense and i mean i i I like that you know i I mean those stories intrigue me maybe because that's 
maybe because that's what I'm doing or not doing. I don't know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I actually it'll be very interesting because I found that um his treatment of female characters, I think, is pretty decent too. Mm-hmm. And I think that um one of one of the things that I sort of knocked uh, into darkness on was that I felt that Uhura's character took a significant step backwards in, in terms of maturity and necessity to the film uh, in a lot of ways. And I think that he, I think that Peg, based on how he has been able to have good female characters written uh, in the movies. I think that he's going to be able to bring uh, strength back to her role or any other female role that's featured in the movie, you know, so that they don't feel just like Spock's girlfriend. Yeah. You know, like yeah. th- it'll feel like this character has a meaning and a purpose of their own outside of any other uh, situation they might be in. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with Star Trek Beyond because we know that he has sort of the the geek cred, you know, which is something that you could say, you know, people either did or didn't have in in well all the Star Trek incarnations, you know. I mean, yeah. in the in the these latest, you know, JJ verse movies, yeah, you had Roberto Orsi who was a super fan, you know, probably bigger than Simon Pegg. But in earlier incarnations, you had Nicholas Meyer who I'd probably never seen Star Trek, really. Yeah, probably. <clears throat> Prior to this, yeah. So, you know, and it's like, well, who is is that a good thing or a bad thing, or is it a neutral thing? I don't know. To me, it's it's not necessarily good or bad, but different and interesting. And sure. I'm, I'm curious to see Simon Pegg, you know, uh, what his take as someone who loves Star Trek is going to be on Star Trek, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. it's exciting. It's exciting, and you know, I I, I guess the thing that that people should remember is that he's not the only one. You know, there is another. There is another, <laughs> uh, and and that's that's Doug Young, and yes. uh, he's a very different writer who writes very different things, uh, and we're going to be taking a look at him in a couple weeks so so as not to you know think that because i mean that's hey simon Pegg, in a sense he's earned it you know yeah. any any time that anyone talks about the new star trek movie and the the script it's like simon Pegg's writing it simon Pegg's writing it oh yeah and doug young you know but and and you know simon Pegg has the the stronger or the the larger filmography to be sure uh, he's definitely a higher profile name, certainly among geeks and among Star Trek fans, seeing as how he's one of the leads in the current incarnation of Star Trek. And yeah, I mean, he's also, you know, sort of like the guy who's written a bunch of stuff that people love. But Doug Young is there too, and he definitely deserves a look at as well. And, and we're going to be doing that in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, okay, before we... Oh, well, I mean, do you have any final thoughts on Simon Pagner? He's great. All right, cool. There you go. Uh, So before we we wrap anything up uh, here, I just wanted to mention one thing that uh, happened uh, just yesterday, I guess, uh, from when we were recording this in regards to a Star Trek creator, and that is in relation to a movie which has been out for like 35 years, which has nothing to do with Star Trek. And that's uh, Don Coscarelli's Phantasm. Um, mm-hmm. 
I've actually never seen this movie. Oh, good. All right, then. <laughs> Not a big fan? No. <laughs> but I do know that uh, uh, <laughs> Abrams would be of the age of people who would be a fan of Phantasm. Okay. It, it was a schlocky B-horror movie that was... It created an impression. Like, it, if you saw it at the right age, it created an impression for you. And you were like, oh, this is great. I actually had a friend. I Actually, I'm still friends with him. What it had a friend. No, he, he's like, he's been with me through thick and thin since high school. I saw the movie because of him, because his older brother loved it. And he's like, oh, you got to see Phantasm. And I remember watching it with my brother and both of us going, what the hell is this? Yeah, I've had that experience before. This movie is so bad, so incredibly bad, that uh, it was... I actually went uh, about a year ago to... We have a a local uh, horror host. He he was big on late-night TV in the local market here. Uh, Dick Dizel, who... Count Gore Duvall. Great guy. Seriously salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. Great shtick. Everybody loved watching him late at night it was it was in the it was back in the days when he could get away with anything like he almost set the set on fire one time like live on television and he was sort of like an early mystery science theater 3000 he would show these awful horror movies late at night and then he would have little bits intercut you know between the commercial breaks and uh Phantasm, he would actually, uh, he actually blue screened himself in on a couple of scenes. <laughs> and so a year ago, I had the pleasure of going to the AFI oh, theater. Wow. I've always wanted to where go he, there. He hosted an actual 35 millimeter print of Phantasm. Yeah. And basically broke it up, broke the evening up, and it was like an audience rip on the movie. And, like, he showed stuff from, like, TV back in the day. He's like, so this is what I did back then. But we all watched Phantasm. Like, we had a great laugh because the movie's bad. But everybody remembers it because the villain in it is the tall man. And it was Angus something or other. And his big thing was he would always find the kid and he would go, boy. And they had a silver ball that would race around and it would, like, stick you in the brain and, like, sh- like dig all your blood out and kill you that way. So I've just described pretty much the entire movie for everyone, except right. for the whole alien planet angle. Sorry. But um, it's terrible. Okay. All right. I guess here's my question for you. When you saw that 35-millimeter print. Yeah. How, how did it look? Was it starting, oh, it was pretty start, banged up. starting to show it its age? Pretty, pretty, pretty darn banged up. It was the whole thing where like uh, uh, reels would start with like that sort of sepia washout, mm-hmm. and like the cigarette burns were there, and you know the, it, it was actually it was like listening to a vinyl record, remembering all of the things that used to be part of a movie. Yeah, and it was it was it was pretty banged up, and yeah, um. Because of it being pretty banged up, because of that sort of thing, and because J.J. Uh, Abrams probably is of that age of of people who you know are, are fans of this movie, yeah, he and Bad Robot have spearheaded a 4K restoration from the original negative of Phantasm, <sighs> yeah, which I think is pretty awesome. 
even though I've never seen the movie, he's saying like, hey, this is a movie. It's a small movie, which doesn't get a lot of credit. You know, you're not going to get the Richard A. Harris, um, you know, Godfather restoration, you know, that, sure. that you know, it's it's not going to happen for something like Phantasm. But he's like, you know what? I got the resources. I can devote them to ensuring that generations to come will enjoy Phantasm. They'll understand the terror of the tall man. Yes. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's, he's talked in recent weeks about how the character in the upcoming film, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, Captain Phasma, is a reference to Phantasm. And you talk about the silver ball and, you know, Captain yep. Phasma has the silver, you know, armor. And yeah. it's all, you know, it's all part of this thing. But, hey, I mean, there, I just, the only reason why I bring it up is because, you know, it's. I think it's really cool that, you know, J.J. Abrams is doing this. You know, I, I like it. I mean, George Lucas has done this for things. You know, he's, he's yeah, helped sure. restore, you know, movies. I think some Kurosawa films and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's it's cool that, you know, Abrams is, is taking this film, philanthropic route and sticking up for the little guy and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so, I mean, the thing is, I'll give him credit because even though it's a bad movie, it's a, it's a bad movie you enjoy for its badness. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not angry at the end of it. You're like, that sucked. Yeah, but, you know, I'd watch it again to make fun of it. Yeah, yeah. Almost like Batman and Robin, where no. it's like the only reason you'll watch it is to tear it apart. Uh, that movie, no, 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 no. You won't even go back to Batman and Robin for that reason? I've watched that movie way too many times, and I it, okay. it's all been <laughs> accidental except for the first time, you know? <laughs> okay. And I love Batman well, forever, by the way, so take that as you will. Shame on you. <clears throat> but the uh, with uh, where, where I'll give him credit is he is in a position... Where, where where even though it's not a movie that anybody's going to love, he's in a position to basically go back and preserve his childhood, yeah. basically. He loves it. And right. that's all that really matters. And that's matters. all that matters. And there are other people who, are, are, who do love it, you know, like your friend's brother and stuff. You know, and yeah. it's for them, you know. It's not for the people who are going to be watching the Oscars and who are going to go to the, <laughs> to the you know, historic AFI Silver Theater to see, you know, the latest whatever, the King's yeah. Speech or whatnot. It's for the people who are going to the midnight shows and, you know, they should be able to have yeah. decent looking prints too. And, and that's pretty cool. I, so. You know what? I do, I do agree with you on that. Scorsese had uh, Vertigo yep. and Abrams has Phantasm. Yep. There you go. What does that say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, um, we're finishing up on Simon Pegg. We've talked about how all of our our episodes for this season, this final season, are going to be about Star Trek Beyond creators, and, and that's still true next week. But next week is also going to be a return to a series which we did oh, a long time ago, back with like episode 92, where we were looking at uh, the work of a Star Trek director. His name was J.J. Abrams. We looked at all of his movies. Mm-hmm. It was like a four-part series, and we're, he's got a new movie coming out uh, today. It, yeah? Yeah, today. 
Everyone who's listening to this has already seen the movie, so we can just spoil it all. (laughs) We haven't seen it yet, but... (laughs) Not as of this recording, but we will have seen it by the time this is out, right? Captain Phasma is Luke's dad. (laughs) sorry spoilers kylo ren is a jar jar clone (laughs) who saw that coming i don't know anyway um yeah that movie is star wars episode 7 the force awakens and next week as our little christmas present to you we will be discussing star wars episode 7 the force awakens the new jj abrams movie yes yeah so look for that friday All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Simon Pegg's career this week, but that's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Usually Mike and I are like, "Mm, what's going on? Our heads are just spinning like, what? I don't understand what's going on, you know? And like, you know, when I listen to that, I'm like, are we like, you know, bad? (laughs) The orb. He requested, you know, a Bajoran officer to serve with him on purpose. You know, he understands. You make this their own. We can't. I did it on purpose. I could see him like accidentally requesting a Bajoran officer. (laughs) Oh man, I I checked the wrong box on the form. (laughs) The ready room. Actually, I think at this point, Vulcan Love Slave was probably just a short story, right? It hadn't been turned into a full. <laughs> That's blown right. It's not a full novel. blown novel at that point. Yeah, it's yeah. just fanfic. It's just fanfic. Yeah, just fanfic. Point, so, right? <laughs> <laughs> just on the internet, people started writing after first contact there in Montana. To the journey. It's a very much the genesis of Seven of Nine. Genesis. Genesis. Genesis allowed us not. Sorry. Commentary, Trek Stars. So we're closing in on the World Series is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the Sox were able to win the World Series in, you know, 12 games. So we're no White Sox, but we're like the Cubs or something. (laughs) Oh, no, wait, they didn't win the World Series. Never mind, never mind. The 602 Club. To speak back to the lightsaber overall, I mean, it was practical reasons that they switched it to green, but I've always loved the fact that Luke had that green saber even when I was a kid like it's really cool it's an immediate visual signal you know even outside of the outfit that he's wearing that he's he's a different kind of person than even we saw in the previous film and I just I really like that literary tricks the pinnacle of episodes that we've ever done on that was probably when we had Tristan from to the journey on to talk about some Voyager comics and <laughs> We ended up, that show was named Two Box Remedial School for Badasses or something of that nature. So, I mean, yeah, these old comics can just be very, very fun. Meta Treks. I looked it up and ornare is the Latin word for to adorn. That's fascinating. So I looked up breca and it turns out the same spelling, B-R-E-K-K-A, is Old Norse for slope or hillside. And that, listeners, is something you will only get right here on Metatrex. Better living through etymology. (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. 
Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. One way that you can help us out on the network is by buying some of our stuff. If you go to uh, trek.fm slash store, that'll take you to our Trek FM store on Redbubble, where yeah. you can uh, look at all of the t-shirts and magnets and stickers and iPhone cases and everything else that, that uh, we we have for, available for you. I'm still pushing really hard for Trek FM, the Citizen Kane of podcasts. <laughs> with with the with the 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 a version of of Max's uh Citizen Kane ship sled <laughs> if you want that let us know yes let Aaron know let's make this happen cuz i want that for myself that would be awesome it would be so yeah just go to trek.fm/store and you can find uh, a a link to it there Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can find the network on Twitter at trek.fm. You can find the network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Or you can go to the Babel Conference, which is on Facebook. Just type in the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at Trek FM, trek.fm and click on the discussion tab on the menu bar. John, where can people find you on the internet? Well, uh, by the time this drops, I will be uh, back out of my <laughs> self-imposed exclusion from uh, things like Twitter. So you can find me at Castle Junkie uh, pretty much anywhere, actually. Uh, and then you can find me on a uh, podcast that uh, drops weekly called Wars with Nerds that I co-host with my uh, buddy Craig. And uh, this same week, we will be having a Star Wars-focused episode where he is going to be asking me esoteric and weird questions about Star Wars, where we postulate things uh, that have nothing to do with The Force Awakens, but might have always gotten under your skin. <laughs> Can't wait to hear that. It'll be fun. <laughs> you can find me... Uh, let's see. No, can't find me on Trek FM anymore doing standard orbit. Sorry. Um, Boo. Well, you know what? You got, you know what? I want to say, I want to have a slight, you know, a, a little eulogy for your run <laughs> on standard orbit. You guys were great as hosts of that show and you finished so strong that it is, uh, it, it's something else. I encourage if you have not taken the time to listen to standard orbit before now at least go back over the last several episodes and and visit what mike and drew have done because it was a real 
slam bang way for you guys to go out. Well, thanks. We tried, you know, uh, and, and it, it was the type of thing where we were like, "Hey, let's let's really end this strong, you know. Let's let's go out, you know, yeah. like you're saying, with a bang, and get as many sort of cool people as we can to come in and just talk about crazy stuff. And I think that people who listen to this show would like it because it was very sort of creator oriented in in a lot of ways. We had. Mike Johnson and Sarah Gados, who uh, do, mm-hmm. do the write and edit the comic book um, that's that takes place in the JJ verse, talking about their process, the process of adaptation and that sort of thing. And we had uh, Mark Cushman on talking about uh, the time during the Phase Two era, and Ben Robinson, uh, who was on this show, talking about Maurice Hurley, yeah. talking about the Phase Two era. So there is a lot of like good stuff there, a lot of sort of crossover with what we're doing on this show. So, you know, check it out. If you want to find out in particular what was going on in between, in the dark times, the real dark times of Star Trek, in between the original series and, and the motion picture. So check it out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, you can also find me on commentarytrackstars.com doing commentary trackstar babies and you can find me on twitter at mumbles 3k or you can find the show on twitter at comtrackstars or you can email us at comtrackstars at gmail.com before we go we'd like to ask everyone please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary trackstars and all of our shows to you each week and our sponsor for this show is audible.com audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for uh john I read, listened to, read, listened, well, listened to a book based on your recommendation. Which was? Uh, Smuggler's Run. Oh, yes. A Star Wars adventure with Han Solo and Chewbacca. Yes. And you you guys, I know, on the 602 Club were talking about how great it was. Yes. What's wrong with you people? What is wrong with you? How I mean, dare look, you look, 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 lead up like that? Look, look, look. Here's the thing. Shame on you. Here's the thing. It was okay, right? I mean, but really, like, what, is it, what did it do? What did it do? I don't understand. It's better than okay. okay. Better than okay. It established uh, a really interesting uh, uh, situation with Han and Chewie. It, it spoke. Th- the characters were so right. It was somebody who got the characters. The creation of Alicia Beck yeah. was something special. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I have a feeling yeah. that she's going to pop up. Well, she she already, like, at least was mentioned. She popped up in the uh, the Shattered Empire Which was written uh, comics. by, which was well, written by uh, Greg Rucka, too. Yeah, a reference to her, I should say. She didn't personally show up, but a reference to her. Yeah. Could she wind up being Captain Phasma? Maybe. I can't. No, I can't see that. Maybe she could. I don't. Uh-huh. Think, I, I don't. We'll think never so. know. Well, but by not by the time people are we'll listening never to know this, because be Captain like, Phasma is well actually done. the tall man from Phantom. <laughs> oh God! Spoilers. Spoilers. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's. It, I don't know. It was just. I've been reading a lot of these these Star Wars books, and some of them have been really good, and some of them have been mediocre, and some of them have been bad. And this one was just kind of like I don't what I don't understand what's going on here. I'm not like I don't understand it, but like I don't understand why it's going on here. What's the point? 
I don't know. Well, all of these things are supposed to have clues and hints that tie into. Yeah, that's fair uh, enough. And I guess I of did. Of course, like I suppose the, a clue and a hint are sort of the same thing. I, I guess so. I did like the epilogue where it was like, oh, okay, so this is where Han and Chewie are now. That's interesting. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But, there. Well, and the thing is, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, the 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 framing device of the mm-hmm. old man in the bar telling the story about the owners of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. It is pretty interesting. And and I do have to say that uh while I didn't enjoy this book, I'm about to start listening once again on Audible to Weapon of a Jedi. Which is awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we'll find out if that whether or not that's true or whether or not you're leading me astray once again. You know, <laughs> I never lie. I never lie. I'm like uh, the Landrew computer. Okay. All right. I'm incapable of lying. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, regardless of that, you know, I got these. Though the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I got these on Audible. Yeah. And, and the performances are good. The performances are good. I feel like Mark Thompson is an old friend now. Uh, there you go. And he's 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 very good with the voices and and whatnot. It's it's a good it's a good presentation, and I would recommend them. I, I, I've got the weapon of a Jedi. I'm going to get the whatever Princess Leia's is. And uh, moving target. Moving target. There you go. Yeah. And I'm going to listen to them, you know, and hopefully, you know, in the next couple of days so that I'll be all ready in time for Star Wars. Episode seven. You, well, I have something else for you to listen to to get ready for episode seven. OK, I don't know if I have the time, but what is it? <laughs> Battlefront, Twilight Company, Star Wars. No, see, that is going to be the next thing. That's what I'm going to do after I'm finished with these books. There you go. Written by Alexander Freed and narrated by Jonathan Davis. Mm. Uh, This unabridged audiobook. Uh, The description is, A companion novel inspired by the hotly anticipated video game Star Wars Battlefront, this action-packed adventure follows a squad of soldiers caught in the trenches of the ultimate galactic war between good and evil. Yes, I'm looking forward to this book, too, because I don't have a PS4. I've been putting yeah. off buying one because you can't watch 3D movies on a PS4, which is ridiculous. So I've been putting off buying one. and you, this 3D movies is a criteria for you? Yeah. That's interesting. I, I very specific. Like when I had to get a new TV, I'm like, it has to be 3D. Has to use the same glasses that are in theaters, so I can use my my Tron Legacy Oakleys. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw the picture of your Tron Legacy Oakleys, yeah. and I I tip my hat to you. Jealous, for that. right? You're jealous. Uh, well, how could I not be? <laughs> I, I love my Tron Legacy Oakleys. I wear I wear them for everything. I will be when I watch Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. I'll be wearing my Tron Legacy Oakleys. Um, but no, yeah, because I love 3D, and uh, I have it. Yeah, and but you you have to like the PS3 can play it, 3D movies. Hmm. The PS4 cannot. What's up? With I that? uh, it's ridiculous. I, I I haven't bought a new uh, game system because I think of how many uh, diapers <laughs> it can buy. And I go, mm, I need the diapers more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the PS3 is mainly just because it's a really good Blu-ray player, you know. And but and also because I need something. I, I, I play MLB 16, the show, while I'm editing this show ah. as part of my process. So ah, I see. I anyway, see. but because of that, I can't play Battlefront. So now 
I'm going to get this book for free on Audible. Yeah. So that I can experience Battlefront uh, without playing it. And yes. You know, you can too, because as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30 day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. Okay, here's a crazy thought. The next time we speak, yes, we will have both seen a new Star Wars movie. Yes. That's insane. It is crazy. It, I it's weird, man. It's it's awesome. It's weird. It's awesome. I feel I feel a bit like uh Michael Corleone in the horrendous Godfather Part Three. I like Godfather Part Three. Of course you do. <laughs> but the line I think of is every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Yeah, they, they absolutely do. They absolutely well played do. Disney. Yes. Well played. Yes, for sure. I'm excited. So excited that uh, next week, that's what we're going to be talking about. Yes. We're going to be talking about J.J. Abrams' latest directorial effort, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Let's find out how a Star Trek director does. Yeah. <laughs> 